Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is William Dyer, and this is Dyer Conversations. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast, Marsha Montenegro. Thanks, Marsha, for joining us. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Billy. I appreciate it. Haven't been on with you before, so I look forward to this. Yeah, me too. So uh, for everybody who's listening, the reason why I brought her on is because I first kind of got introduced to her through my school, Southern Evangelical Seminary, where she also attended. And I learned a little bit about her story, being involved in the occult and in, uh, in her earlier life and then moving into becoming a Christian, uh, giving her life to Christ and now has a whole ministry uh, that kind of talks to people and helps churches to realize some of those influences that we don't even know are coming from the occult into the church. So I thought that was super interesting, and I wanted to share it with everybody who listens to Dire Conversations. Um, so why don't we start off here a little bit and just tell me about your early life. Did you go to church at all when you were young and then kind of walked away, or did you were you not actually raised in the church? Uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of funny. I wasn't really raised in the church, but I did go to church. <laughs> And the reason I say that is because it's a little out of the norm. Um, my father was um, in the Foreign Service, so we moved around a lot. And we lived in different countries. Uh, so the choices of churches were limited. Also, uh, my father was an agnostic. Uh, my mother had been raised a Southern Baptist, but was pretty much a nominal Christian. However, she thought children should go to church. And so um, she would, we would end up going to a church somewhere. But my memories of, I have really no strong memories of any, uh, anything I learned in those churches. Uh, when uh, we came back to the United States, I went to a Baptist church that was just, um, the street on the street next to the street where we lived. So I could actually walk there and I went there and, and that's where I did become kind of involved, but I was a teenager at this point. I did um, go to the Sunday school and to the services and I was in the youth group. So outwardly I looked like I, I might be a Christian and I think people assumed I was. Um, and I kind of thought that I was because I was going to church. I did not really um, understand anything about the atonement or why Jesus died on the cross. I, to me, you know, Sunday school was where we learned about these uh, things Jesus did or stories in the Bible. And really, it was kind of like story time for me, even, even as a teenager. Uh, I didn't think very deeply about it, and I never, for whatever reason, uh, the gospel and the need to be reconciled with God just went over my head. I just never, I never understood it. So looking back now, would you say that you think that you were a Christian then, or you think that was just kind of like some... Oh, I definitely was not. I was definitely okay. not a Christian. No, I was definitely not, because... Um, I started questioning things by the time I was 15. I was questioning the whole idea of Christianity, the idea of the Bible being somehow something I should live by. Um, the idea of it is God's word. I don't even know if I even had that idea in my head, but I just started wondering if it was really true. And I was 15 when I started having these, these questions in my mind. 
And in, in high school, I had these friends, um, and this this is gonna this is almost sounds like a, a comedy skit, but my four friends that I hung out with more than another friend I had, then that's a long story, but she, I don't think she was a Christian either. These four friends were, one was a Mormon, um, one was a Baha'i, uh, one called herself a free thinker, and the other was a Quaker. <laughs> it's a very eclectic group there. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of, it was kind of emblematic of my, of my life and where I, where, you know, all the things I explored. So I did not explore those four, well, I did explore Quakerism, but uh, these friends were very serious about their beliefs. And I was thinking, you know, if if they're serious about their beliefs and it's not Christianity, why can't I, you know, why can't I maybe consider following another religion? So it, it, I sort of realized I did not have to be a Christian, although I wasn't really a Christian. I did not have to be part of Christianity. And that's where I really started thinking about other faiths and other beliefs and getting very interested in other religions. And I had a book that on other religions and on different church denominations that I would read. So there was a very strong interest and curiosity there in other belief systems that really kind of bloomed in college. But that was the beginning of it. Also in high school, I was very interested in astrology. <clears throat> and so astrology intrigued me. I read the horoscope every day. I went to hear Gene Dixon speak um, at the press club in Washington, D.C. Gene Dixon, Gene Dixon, the fact you don't know who she is shows how young you are. <laughs> no offense. That's all right. Maybe how old I am. I don't know. She was nationwide. And I mean, you could just say her name. Her name was a household name. She wrote the horoscope columns for almost all the okay. newspapers in the United States. If you just Google her, you'll see. Um, she was really a psychic, not an astrologer, but she wrote the horoscope columns. And, you know, I think she probably knew a little astrology, but she didn't, I, as far as I know, she, she wasn't consulted as an astrologer. She was consulted as a psychic. Um, and I really loved reading uh, that. I was so intrigued by it. And then I went to listen to her. Um, so that seed for astrology was planted in high school as well. And then in college, this kind of blossomed into um interest in Eastern religion, uh, which happened because of a course I took. Uh, and that really opened the door in my mind to Hinduism. And so all of these things just, it was like little seeds were being planted in me for all these areas that I later pursued. I had an experience in college where I thought a dead person appeared to me. So Did you know the dead person? Huh? Did, like, is it somebody that you thought you knew, or is it just a stranger? No, it wasn't somebody I knew. Um, he appeared in. I was at my grandmother's house um, during a break, and he appeared in the bedroom. In the morning, uh, I was awake, and he told me when he died. So he spoke. He to said, you. "I died on yeah." He said, "I died on December." I can't remember the dates, but it was December something. And then he said either 1947 or 1949. I can't remember now. 
Um, and I, I thought, and then he just kind of faded away. And I thought that he was really had, was a dead person. And so after college, I, I got really intrigued, uh, with the idea of, of communicating with the dead. And I was reading all these books on like haunted places and, um, yeah, but okay. So hold on. I want to back up to that. Cause that's, yeah. That's got to be like mind blowing. What were you thinking when that <laughs> happened? Like, you know, what was your initial thought? My initial thought was, um, you know, I was already kind of, I forgot to say in high school, I was interested also in psychic powers. I forgot to say that. So I already had an interest in that kind of area. Um, and I hadn't, as far as I know, I had not done any reading on communication with the dead. I probably heard of it or something, but I hadn't done any explorations. Um, I thought I felt special that he appeared to me. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much it. And I thought about it a lot. I didn't tell anyone about it. But I had a couple of other quote unquote psychic experiences while I was in college. Um, one of them, I was actually with a group of my friends. I was driving down this road we had gone out to eat at some fast food place and I had a car. So, you know, I was always driving <laughs> and I was driving down um, this kind of dirt road. It was off the beaten track. I think I thought it was a shortcut or something. And it was very dark. There was no street lights, and it was night. And as I was driving, I suddenly had an image of dogs um, like like running in front of me on the road. And I said to my friends, wouldn't it be terrible if a dog ran in front of the car and I hit it? And they were like, well, yeah, you know, and they're probably like, well, why is she, <laughs> why is she thinking about that? That's random, but all right. And, yeah. And so I slowed down and, and like probably 30 seconds after I said that, uh, several dogs ran in front of the car across that dirt road. Then I said, you know, and they and my friends can believe it. And I said, see, if I hadn't slowed down, I probably would have hit one of them or more of than one. Now, I don't are know they, how many. Are they, like freaking, are they freaking out at this point? I don't remember. I think so. I, I think they were, but I honestly don't remember. That just, that, that just didn't stick with me. Their reactions didn't stick with me. Um, so that happened to me. So see, I had a couple of other experiences like that. And I, I had, um, I knew a woman who saw auras, who was a student. Um, and she didn't tell people about it. She only told me and my, my little group of friends. She didn't tell anybody else. Uh, none of us were Christians. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I took these things as signs of uh, another world. A dimension of reality that isn't visible that we can explore and that's what I really you know that's what I really was planning to do when I got out of college because so it, so it interested you you were kind of more of like well, well I was more I was yeah. interested as an understatement okay I was I was totally intrigued I was totally intrigued um, this was not something I was going to forget about or not pursue I definitely knew I would probably be pursuing some, that that area. Um, you know, the area uh, I didn't I didn't use the word supernatural. I don't know. I don't think I used any words for it. But 
I felt like there was this, you know, unseen realm that where all this activity was going on that we could access. And so I wanted to know how to access it. And you weren't really, I mean, you were saying that you weren't talking to people about it. So it's not like you're running around and a bunch of people are saying like, gosh, she's kind of getting a little crazy. You're just kind of keeping this all to yourself. No. And I don't know if my friends, I mean, I don't know if they would have thought, I don't know if they would have thought all it all was crazy. They might've thought it was a little strange, but nobody, this was a time period in our country when there was a lot going on. Um, it'll really date me if I tell you, but you can probably guess. And there was a lot of, of unusual things happening in this country. People were on drugs. Um, Eastern religions were big. Um, you know, there was a lot of chaos in the, in the social and political order of the country, everything was being upset. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. So we were sort of in a time period where things were not really calm or normal. There was just a lot of, of things happening. And so people, and people were more open, I think, to unusual or strange ideas. Um, And Sounds so, like 2020. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, in a way, there I can see some parallels, except that uh, the interests, some of the interests are the same. And actually, there's a revival um, of interest now in Generation Z, the polls show, um, in astrology, for example. Astrology is making a huge comeback. It's, it's really going up. I mean, it's always been high, but it's really going up. And Eastern religions as well. So a lot of the things that were getting um, intriguing to people then are really getting intriguing to people now. <clears throat> but there was a lot of, there was, I mean, I, I would say the political chaos then was worse than it is now. Was much, I mean, you have the Vietnam War going on. That's a little you know, nice there, to know. There's just a lot, of, a lot of unrest. Yeah, the Vietnam War was a huge thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think people who weren't alive at that time can understand it was a constant thing in our culture. It was on the news every night. Uh, you, you know, guys were getting drafted. Um, it was just, it was this unrest and all this turmoil with the um, protests and everything was all going on. It was just a real time of, of civil unrest, much more than now, much more, um, in my opinion. So anyway, so I think that I don't know how my friends would have reacted. They were all kind of, you know, they were willing to look at things. They weren't, they weren't um, in any way inhibited from strange or unusual things. Uh, but they did know that, or they thought I knew about astrology. So I would get asked questions about it. Um, and I would answer them the best way I could. You know, they would ask me questions like, um, well, the girls did like, you know, you know, Marsha, I'm a, I'm a Pisces and, you know, John's a Capricorn. Do you think we'll get along? That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like dating advice. <laughs> so um, I don't, I don't know if the guys ever asked me anything, but the, but some of the girls did. So that was where I was in college. And when I got out, I just pursued these things. I pursued the communication with the dad. What did you do? Um, like, did you get books? Did you seek out clubs? I got books. I got okay. books. There was a man named Hans Holzer who who was very well known at the time who wrote a series of bestsellers. 
he was a uh, kind of a what you would call I for, I forgot what he called himself, but he was kind of a ghost, um, kind of like a ghostbuster, really. Uh, although that term didn't exist then, I don't think he would go to places that supposedly were haunted and communicate with the quote unquote ghost and get them to leave. And he wrote all these books on it, on all his cases. And he was, it was very popular with people interested in that kind of thing. Um, you know, his books were best, some of his books were bestsellers. And I think, I don't remember if he was on any, you know, TV shows, but I, I imagine maybe he was. But he was very, very um, popular. And I was reading his books and some other books like that. And I don't remember everything that I was reading right at that time. I, I started reading more later when I was getting more deeply involved in the New Age. And I remember a lot of those books. But I kind of was just going along that way. And then I started reading a book on um, Vedanta, which is a form of uh, non-dual Hinduism. And non-dual Hinduism is the idea that everything is connected. Everything is one. Um there's no dualism because there is a dual there is a dualistic hinduism and uh so everything is connected everything's one i was reading this book about this vedanta center in california that had been started and as i was reading the book and this is shortly after college as i was reading this book um I just, I, it just completely mesmerized me. I don't know how to explain it. I just was totally taken with it and believing these things, these things, these people were talking about and writing about. And that really stuck with me. That I think really, you know, I'd already been interested in Hinduism in college and this kind of just pulled me in further. And so I was going along that way and I can't remember. Oh, I mean, I don't want to go into everything, you know, that happened, but I continued exploring these areas. And then I, uh, two things happened. Um, one is I took a class called inner light consciousness. This is and, in college? No, this is, I'm now I'm into after college. This is after college. The so Vedanta and everything is after college. Where are you taking the class at? It's in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to college in Florida mm -hmm. and then I was with my parents for a few months in Washington, D.C., and then I went to Atlanta because three, uh, my college roommate who had graduated a year ahead of me and two other friends from college were all renting a townhouse, and they invited me to come share the townhouse with them. So the class so was, like a, was like a seminar or something? Um, well, it was... Um, wasn't really, uh, I don't know. They didn't really call it that. They just called it the inner light consciousness course. I think actually it may still be going on. Uh, the, the, the people behind it is this kind of new age commune, which at the time was in Southwestern Virginia. I'm not sure if they're still there. I checked on it a few years ago and I think they were, but I haven't looked at it lately. And they went around the country teaching this class. They went around the country and they were the, their leader was this Hindu guru. But when they came to Atlanta to teach the class, it was this, you know, Western guy who led the classes. And it was they were classes were done at Quaker House. And I had been see, I had been going to Quaker meetings 
and they were hosting this this class. So that's how I knew about it. And I went to the class and it was basically the class was a crash course in the new age movement. That's what it was. We, we were taught about remote healing. We were taught about dreams. Um, we would chant uh, Elohim. Hmm. And I didn't know what Elohim was or what it meant. And the guy told us, uh, this is a word from the Bible. And I said, oh, and I was thinking to myself, I didn't say it out loud. Oh, okay, good. It's from the Bible because I thought that gave it credibility, even though I didn't really believe the Bible. It gave it sort of this, this, this level of credibility to me. Yeah. Now, did you, like at any point during this class, did you step back and like question it? Like, man, I think this might be a little bit of like baloney or, you know, like are we the whole time just like, this is the greatest thing ever. I love this stuff. Um, no, I think, uh oh, I just did something on my computer. Let me, I don't know what I did. Let me try to get that. Yeah, it went away. I'm sorry. I, I hit right. something. The big screen came up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I didn't, I don't know if I said this, is the, I, I was close to thinking this is really fantastic. I, I, I had, I was a little skeptical of some of the stuff, but not enough to keep me from wanting to learn more. Okay. Um, so I didn't really question it. I, I took it as a spiritual teaching mm -hmm. and that was intriguing to me. And so what we did every night, we did a guided meditation or guided visualization. This teacher would lead us through this. Oh, the Hindu guy did come and talk to us one evening and I was very impressed by his talk. Very impressed. What did he talk about? He sat on this little stool and um, in front of the room. He talked a little bit about his life and how he became, got involved in his spiritual lineage with his guru. Um, the, the only thing I, I, I remember him sitting there before the class started and somebody was talking about something Eastern, she was saying, somebody in the class was saying how she was reading or going to a lecture or something that had to do with East and West. And he kind of smiled and he said, Oh, East, West, East, West. Yes. Uh, we live in these artificial dualities or something like that. Like, yeah, everybody wants to make a, a, a difference in things. Everybody wants to make a distinction. Um, that, those weren't his words, but that's what he was saying. And I remember when he said that, that really intrigued me. Um, so I don't remember really his talk, but I was very impressed with it. And I know at one point he said his guru told him he had to go into the city and make a lot of money. He had for a certain time, he had to go and make a certain amount of money. And this was a test. This was like a spiritual test. And so he said, so I went to the city and I made a lot of money. He said, it's very easy when you know what you're doing. It's very easy. And that's all he said about it. And so he passed the test and he went back to his guru. <laughs> um, and yeah, who, I don't yeah, remember. But who, who gets all the money? Well, I don't, I don't remember. He didn't say. <laughs> Of course, yeah, probably the guru. Yeah. So I don't remember anything else. It's usually the way it goes. Uh, these gurus are really, um, they're incredible uh, manipulators. They're, they're basically cult leaders. Mm. 
And especially the ones that have come over to this country and had a lot of Western followers. I had a lot of friends when I was in the New Age who followed various gurus, uh, Muktananda, Rajneesh, Rajneesh, who was in the poisoning scandal in Oregon. I don't know if you know about that. Um, his followers. his name. I don't remember yeah, about him. Yeah, um, Muktananda, Sai Baba, uh, Daffrey John. I had a housemate who was a follower of Daffrey John. I knew a lot of my friends were followers of these gurus. Um, my favorite guru that I that I came to really like and be influenced by later was um, Yogananda, who uh, had died by the time I was reading Autobiography of a Yogi, which is still sold and it's still a popular book. And he established several centers in this country. And I did end up going to one later. Um, well, I went up, I went to one that was established by one of his former followers. Uh, so I wasn't at that point interested in following anybody. I just wanted to explore. But the guided visualization is a real important point because every night he would lead us through this meditation. And then the last night he said, tonight it's going to be different because um, at the end of the meditation, you'll meet your spiritual master. So, um, yeah, I... <laughs> We all knew that this would not be a, a person, you know, a regular person. We knew this would be somebody on another dimension, a discarnate being. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it somebody different for everybody there or is it the same person? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. It's, he said you would each, you will each meet your own spiritual master. Okay. And so he did the guided meditation and at the end he added something different that he hadn't done that led us on this journey in our, in our mind to meet our master. And, and I did, I met, I met my so-called spiritual master. And um, really from that point on, you know, my life really changed very drastically because I did really truly feel the presence of, of this, what was really essentially a spirit guide. Um, I felt his presence from then on. Um, and I had some dreams encountering him, but I never, I never had conversations with him, you know, <laughs> or anything like some people get very, very involved with their, with their spirit guides. And, but I didn't, which is probably a good thing. Cause so you usually ever, do you ever see them only in the dream. I saw him in the guided meditation and then in a couple of dreams when they look like. He was um, very Middle Eastern looking and bald. Um, like maybe, you know, in his 50s or something like that. Uh, I told people, um, I used to tell people, he kind of looked like Yul Brenner. And that's when people knew who Yul Brenner was. But I don't say it anymore because probably you don't even know who Yul Brenner is. Very famous movie star. You're going to Google. This is your yeah. assignment. You've got to Google. Google right now. <laughs> All right. I'm going to Google and, him right now while you're telling me this. And Jean Dixon, but you can do her later. How do you, how do you spell Yule? Uh, Y-U-L. And his last name was B-R-Y, I think, N-N-E-R. All right. I got um, him right here. Yeah. He's bald. Oh, okay. And he's kind of Middle Eastern. I'm not sure where he was from. I don't hmm. remember. Um. He looks kind of foreign, right? Yeah. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very well-known movie. He was a very well-known movie star. Yeah, it says here that he was a Russian-born actor. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Or I forgot it. He's Russian-born. That's it. Because he looks actually Middle Eastern to me. Yeah, when he's got the tan going on for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's a a very... So did the guy... Sorry, did he look, did he talk to you at all? Or did you just kind of like meet him? And- Not in the meditation, no. Okay. No, I, no. So um, now, now, this is what I can't remember for sure. I can't remember which came first. But I think it was after this that I um, went to a Tibetan Buddhist group in Atlanta. They had a building where they meditated. They all lived there. And they were all followers of Choigam Trungpa, who was one of the the heads of the four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, so he was the head of one of the schools of Tibetan Buddhism, and he had established the Naropa Center in Boulder, Colorado, which still exists. Uh, and these, this, these people were followers of him. They were all Westerners. And I went there, and the, my first visit the guy who was kind of leading the group, at least that evening, uh, took me into a room and taught me how to do the meditation. And um, then I went into the bigger room. Every every Wednesday night, I think, they had a public meditation. They invited the public to come meditate with them. And then somebody would give a lecture. Somebody from the group would give a lecture. And so I... I was going there and meditating, and I was buying the books written by their leader. Um, one, his, one of his famous books is called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And I was very impressed by and influenced by that book. Very deeply influenced. What, what was um, it that stuck out to you about that in that book? I don't think I can remember. I don't remember some of these things. I, and you know why I don't remember? is because they're really empty Hmm. and you know it's like at the time it was so profound everything so sounded so profound to me but i don't remember it because even though i i know about tibetan buddhism and and the worldview what he actually wrote in the book you know it had to do with cutting through spiritual materialism was really the way of, of of talking about how the conventions society and religion set up are all false they're all they're all meaningless you you have to see through all these things i think that's a general idea but i don't remember specifics because really if you looked at that book as a christian it would just be so empty and meaningless to you i mean nothing about it would seem profound and so i think because my thinking is so different and i've studied and read the bible um you know i don't i just don't i didn't retain a lot of those kinds of books other things i do remember some things about uh but that one i don't remember any specifics i just know the general idea of it Uh, so i was very impressed by it um and then i was doing the tibetan buddhist meditation and going to the group um i left the group when the leader asked me, invited me to come to their private meditations that were closed to the public because uh, I felt like they were trying to recruit me 
and I did not want to be limited to one group. I didn't think I could really freely explore if I started going. So at this point, you're still kind of like dabbling in a bunch of different things, just finding out what I'm, I'm exploring. You. Yeah, I'm exploring. And I, I started getting into more things shortly after this. These were two of the big turning points, I think, that really um, kind of es escalated my my turn into the new age. Okay. So these sort of were, were part of that. This was definitely part of getting into the new age, but they also were kind of accelerants and things just really sped up after that because then I decided that I would um, take some classes and really I decided that just knowing and exploring things was not enough. I wanted to be able to know something well enough to do it. I wanted to be a practitioner of something and I decided that I would pursue astrology. So, um, but I took these classes, I took psychic development and I took astrology. It was two different classes at a place in Atlanta called the foundation of truth. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but they had all these classes, they had classes in past life regression, uh, tarot cards, numerology, you know, palm reading, all kinds of stuff. And I took, you know, I took numerology as well. And I took um, uh, some other, I took past life regression. Uh, but what, my first what is, class. What is past life regression? Oh, okay. Well, of course, that, that refers to reincarnation and the belief okay. that when you die, you come back and live again. And see, I had been introduced to these Hindu ideas Mm -hmm. through that Vedanta book and um, through in college, my, my, I did a special project on Gandhi. Um, and then later through um, other teachings and, and this guru that I, that I heard, there was something else I mentioned, I think that got me interested in, I can't remember what it was now, but so I was already believing in, Oh, when I was reading the Vedanta book that introduced me a lot to that, I was already I already believed in reincarnation at this point. I think I believed in it by the time I was doing the Tibetan Buddhism. I think I'd already believed in it. Were you asking any of these people who were teaching you this stuff like, hey, I'm seeing similarities between these different things, like who stole from who? Like where did it originate from? Oh, no, no, that never occurred to me. So you're just no. like, well, this is... I, didn't, I don't think I was really seeing the similarities. I don't okay. think I studied enough things to see any similarities. But Tibetan Buddhism seemed very different to me from Vedanta. It didn't seem actually to have anything in common with it. Although Tibetan Buddhism is very close to um, Tibetan Buddhism because when Buddhism went into Tibet from India, it retained a lot of things from uh, Hindu practices, a lot of the types of meditation, some of the, of the ideas from Hinduism. And Tibetan Buddhism being such a closed off country, uh, it kind of kept those ideas. And when Buddhism went into China, a lot of those things didn't didn't get either didn't make it into China or in China, those those ideas were rejected and it became something else. It actually fused. Um, well, there's a form of Buddhism that fused with Taoism in China called Chan and Chan when Chan went to Japan and became Zen, Zen Buddhism. So 
the the path of Buddhism is a very uh, complicated and and <laughs> full of full of full of full of a lot of different variations. But so in Tibetan Buddhism is very different from other forms of Buddhism. It's much it's much more um, esoteric. Uh, also, it it merged with the animistic religion of Bon. And so there's actually a lot of animism in Tibetan Buddhism that you don't find in other forms of Buddhism. Uh, so Tibetan Buddhism is very esoteric. It's very complex. It's uh, very occultic, much more than other forms of Buddhism. I didn't get that far with it. I was mainly doing the meditations and reading these books. This is a lot of the stuff about Tibetan Buddhism I learned later. Okay. Uh, so... Um, I didn't really see any parallels, I don't think. Or if I did, I didn't pay any attention to them. But at this point, you said that they tried to kind of recruit you. You didn't like that. You were starting to push away. And then what did you move into then? Zen Buddhism. Okay. And take it. And they see, I can't remember if I took these classes and then did the Tibetan. I mean, the inner light consciousness. I can't remember which came first, the inner light consciousness or the Tibetan Buddhism, because they were like a year apart. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember which came first. I think the inner light consciousness came first. That's gotcha. why I pulled it that way. And then the Tibetan Buddhism. And then after that were the classes on astrology and psychic development. Okay. And so I got that propelled me more into the psychic area. And of course, astrology. I was learning astrology. In Atlanta, they have a very special um, situation that's set up there that was set up by the astrologers in conjunction with the city council and what they did was is um okay the reason this happened is astrology was illegal at the time it was called fortune telling this is before i came to atlanta so this had already happened but of course then it played into my life when i was wanting to become an astrologer after taking several astrology classes uh, what they have in Atlanta is that the astrologers, uh, one of them mainly, went to a city council person, White Fowler, who later became a senator from Georgia. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, look, you know, the serious astrologers like myself are not con artists. We're not fortune tellers. We're doing this serious profession. So what we can do is let's make sure that people who say they do astrology really know it and they aren't just like making it up. So what that ended up with was a, you had to take a test to show you knew astrology and then you could qualify to buy a business license. So see the city was going to get money out of it because they would get a hundred dollars for the business, license. which they always love. Yes, exactly. That's so cra that's crafty. City, that was crafty. Yeah, and I don't know who said what and how, I, well, you know, I just, I'm kind of going along with what happened and assuming that's, I know that, I know the part that where she went to watch Fowler, that's all true. What they said and how they decided it, I'm speculating, but it makes sense because the city would get, you would have to buy a business license to practice legally. Um, which is true for a lot of things, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I think to be a hairdresser, you have to have a license. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, um, so they said, okay, so the test you could take was either the American Federation of Astrologers, which is a test they give in different cities at different times of the year. 
So if they aren't in your city, you have to travel to another city to take it. So they set up a test that, that you could take in Atlanta that would be given by astrologers in Atlanta. So they set up the Board of Astrology Examiners and the board would formulate an exam. The city, it would be given at City Hall. Then the city would send the results to the astrologers on the board who would grade it. And the astrologers would send the information back to the city on who passed and who didn't. And then letters would be sent to the people who took the tests. It all went through the city. And I took a test in uh, 1983. It was, it's seven hours long, by the way. It's a seven hour long exam. Good night. Yeah. You really have to study for it. I had an astrologer, professional astrologer, who is kind of well known in Atlanta, um, tutor me and prepare me for the test. I'd taken an astrology class from him. And he and a friend of his, astrologer friend of his, who are both well known in Atlanta, had started a, a their own little business called the Daily Planets. And, <laughs> you know, I guess if you know about Superman, it's kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> make you think of Superman, right? The Daily Planet, the newspaper. Okay, for those who don't know. Uh, so it's called the Daily Planets and they had they sold books and they did readings. And there was also a woman there who was like a psychic who had an office there and they taught astrology there. So I was taking astrology classes, at the foundation of truth. And then I started taking them at the daily planets. It was very near where I lived. It was in this very countercultural area of Atlanta where I lived. <laughs> and so um, I was taking classes there and he was preparing me for the test. And I took the test and passed. I bought my business license. And that was the beginning of my, my professional astrology career. So at that point, you're like actually doing, you're practicing this stuff for money. Like you're doing it for people and getting paid for it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, exactly. And actually I started before I got the license because I did it as practice. Yeah. And but I charged, like I would charge $10. How much business were you getting? I, was, and I would tell people I was practicing and I'd say I'm practicing. So I'm just going to charge you $10. And you know, so I was already practicing on people by this point. What sort of business and, are you getting? Like, is it is it pretty uh, well, hefty? I'm well, not huge numbers, but I'm I'm not having a hard time finding clients. Mm -hmm. um, for one thing, a lot of people I knew were interested and wanted to do it. Um, then I got business cards printed up and I left them around places, um, and I put an ad in the paper there. This, there was a paper that was a free paper that came out once a week. I think it's it wasn't just in Atlanta. I think it's a paper that was in various cities. And it advertised a lot of local things, local businesses, and, and including a lot of psychic stuff. I mean, the section on psychics and astrologers and tarot card readers was huge. It was huge. And so I put an ad in there. Um, so I started getting, you know, I started getting, getting business. And then the foundation of truth also let me uh, be their quote unquote resident astrologer. Hmm. So if anyone called them and wanted an astrology reading, they called me, then I would go over to their building and do the reading there. So I got business that way. And it gradually, you know, it gradually built up. Now I was working full time when this was going on. Yeah. But at this, at this point, are you thinking like, 
this is legit? Like I'm actually doing this for people or are you kind of just like, this is a nice way to make money, but it's not really real. What oh no. Oh no. I told you mean, did, did I believe it? Yeah. Of course I believed it. I would never do something like that. I didn't believe in. There's some con artists out there. I don't know. I was, yeah, I was just wondering. I kind of see, this is what kind of bothers me, Billy. Um, I have had Christians say that to me, like, did you really believe it? And I'm like, Okay, I was a new ager and I wasn't a Christian, but I wasn't a con artist. Sure. You can't assume most people who do this are not con artists. I know mm. there's a lot of con artists out there. And that's exactly why they set up the test, because they wanted the con artists to be able to be fined because they wouldn't have a business license because they couldn't qualify for it because they wouldn't be able to pass the test. Gotcha. So any con artist trying to trying to do astrology, and there was a woman we all knew about who was on a very busy corner in a very commercial section of Atlanta. Um, I mean, I knew of her because you couldn't drive in that area without seeing her big sign, and she would advertise astrology. She got fined several times because she 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 doesn't never took the test because of course she couldn't she wouldn't be able to pass it. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, we were trying to exclude people like that. We didn't want people like that. You know, we yeah. looked down on that. We totally, that was totally not not me or my astrology friends. Um, you know, there was a big astrological society in Atlanta too. And uh, it, we had over a hundred members. Uh, you know, it was very, it was run very efficiently. We had a president, a vice president, a treasurer, I think we had, Although I don't, we didn't have fees, so I don't know if we had a treasurer, but we had a president, vice president, secretary. We did have a secretary, remember that, who took notes of all the meetings we met, you know, every week. We were very uh, organized, very organized, super organized. <laughs> well, let me, let me. So we had the board of astrology examiners. We had the Astrological Society. Not all astrologers were members of the Astrological Society. The two the two men who ran that business, the Daily Planets, were not members. Mm -hmm. I think they were just busy with their own business and they had enough clients. They need they didn't need to be part of the astrological society. And not and most people in the astrological society were not astrologers. They were studying astrology or they just liked astrology and they would come to the meetings. But of course several people there were astrologers. So let me back up for a second. So I think okay. this is, no, I think this is important. Is there, a, is there a bug on the screen? Is that my screen? Oh gosh, it's my screen. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. all right. I was like, I don't know. Is there a bug on my face? It was really distracting me and I thought it was something over on your side and he's on my screen. <laughs> he's some little gnat or something. Sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, no, I think this is important. So, you know, of course, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to imply that you were a possible con artist. My, my um, my involvement with anything regarding the occult or, you know, and anything in this realm is, is pretty limited. I mean, I, I did some studies on it on my own time, you know, in my twenties, uh, things kind of like what you and I were talking about off screen where it's like I had, I was intrigued, but I also knew I needed to temper that intrigue because I was a Christian at that point and I didn't want to go down a bad path. So I did read, you know, I've read some books by, um, by Christians and, and did some different studying. So it always, it always did interest me. It was always a question I had because you would see the people on TV, you know, or, yeah. or you would yeah. see a news story about somebody who was a con artist who was, you know, doing these, whatever they were doing, reading palms or telling the future, things like that. 
reading crystal balls and, and the tricks behind those things. And you would ask, or at least I would ask myself, I wonder if everybody who's in that world is like that, or if there are people who like, they really think like, no, I'm seeing something here. Like, this is a real thing. Like if I'm looking at a crystal ball, I'm really seeing something and I'm going to tell you what I think it means. And they're absolutely a hundred percent convinced that this is happening. Um, you know, whatever it is, whether, you know, and we could talk about that later. So that's why I asked that question, not to imply that I thought you were a con artist or everybody's a con artist, but just saying like, where were you at at this point? Were you like fully? I would, well, it? I had always believed in this stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, that's why I was, you know, talking about those experiences in college and everything. I was, these were, these things were always very real to me. Okay. And I, and like I said, I thought there was this other dimension there, the spiritual dimension that you could explore if you learned how to access it, you know, where there was like this knowledge and information and, and other things. So no, this was, I, I, I never doubted that for a second. I, I, I felt I was, I felt my calling was to be an astrologer. I thought that's mm -hmm. how serious I was about it. It was like my calling. And I thought that I had been, uh, um, I thought that I had been an astrologer in previous lives. I never answered your question. I just remembered about past life regression class. And that's a class where they, where you basically, you, you go through a relaxation exercise and then you go through a guided meditation and then you see a past life. So the relaxation exercises are always a prelude to these guided meditations, certain slow breathing, the lights are dim. And then the person will say something to bring you into that state. It's basically hypnosis is what it is. It's, hypno it's hypnosis. If you did that to me, I'd fall asleep. Well, some people do <laughs> fall asleep. Uh, uh, they've done a survey, and I can't remember the exact statistics, but um, uh, in the survey, it came out that a certain percentage of people where the hypnosis is being done on, you know, some like 5%, maybe a little more of people just fall asleep. And then there's about another smaller percentage of people who cannot be hypnotized. They just can't be. And, but then the, the larger percentage, which I, I don't want to say, cause I can't remember are people that they can be hypnotized. Most people can be hypnotized. So there's a small percentage that can't be and a small percentage that goes to sleep. <laughs> so as, as a Christian now, do you mm -hmm. think that people can still be hypnotized? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, I, I actually, I have an article on hypnosis on my website. Okay. Because, and let me mention my website because I have a new website and some people who maybe have seen me in other programs only know my old website. And if they're watching this, I want them to know about the new website. Um, and, and also the people watching this, I want them to know it. It's ChristianAnswersNewAge.com. ChristianAnswersNewAge.com or you could put in Google Marsh Montenegro Christian. Now, if you go to the old website, it'll, it'll immediately direct you to the new one, but I want people to have the new one. And what um, I'll do is on all the different platforms that this podcast is being published, we'll put a link to that in the description. Okay. So okay. check the, yeah, check I the description SES, below. Yeah, I hope some SES students listen. And I yeah, want to say so Southern Evangelical Seminary is the best seminary in the United States, maybe the world. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And it's one of the few that isn't falling to progressivism. 
and some of the other things, some of the other. I was just telling one of my friends, I was telling one of my friends today, he asked me how it was. And I said, well, good thing is they're very conservative and they hold to the biblical truth. And that's what I like about them. They hold to inerrancy of scripture, which Mm -hmm. is very rare. And um, it's just a really solid school with a very solid foundation, uh, theologically speaking. And so um, I'm always recommending it to anybody who tells me they're interested in going to seminary. Uh, so that's, I just want to say that about SES. <laughs> and I had really fantastic professors. Some of them aren't teaching there anymore. One sadly has gone to be with the Lord, Barry Leventhal, who was mm-hmm. a great professor I had for my two New Testament courses. I still remember things. I learned from him in class. I still remember it. They've stuck with me to this day. Yeah. So um, I'm very grateful for the professors and the education I had there. So I'm just giving a shout out to my seminary. <laughs> I guess we got to put a link to SES in the, in the podcast. Yes, you better now. put a link to it. <laughs> you better. No, so um, yeah, it's helped me tremendously in my ministry. Really helped me. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah. Uh, so, so getting back to your story real quick. So, you're yeah. you're now licensed. You're doing your business. What's kind of the next major, I guess, turning event in your life? Well, I'm going along in this, and I, I actually became part of the board of astrology examiners, and I became chairperson. I was on the board for four years, and I was chairperson for the last three years, um, and then. Um, I was also president of the Astrological Society. I was writing for New Age and Astrological Publications. I was on the Speakers Bureau, so I ran around and spoke to groups that asked for speakers from from our organization. I mean, we would have groups. I spoke to the Lions Club. I spoke to Parents Without Partners um, and a couple of other groups. So I was very, very active. very active to say the least and i was doing my astrology of course um and at some point there i mentioned how i was working full-time when i was starting off and i did work full-time for the first few years but then i was able to stay home now i was married at the time i had a son um i still have a son (laughs) who's an adult now and um so even though we, we did not make a lot of money we were pretty kind of poor, I was able to stay home with the income from astrology, which was still not a lot, but we lived very, very simply. Uh, And so I was doing astrology, you know, full time. Uh, Now, I had no interest in leaving astrology. I wasn't pursuing other things. I was still doing, I was doing Zen Buddhist meditation pretty much all the time. I was still doing a lot of reading. I mentioned earlier that there were some books I read that were very pivotal to me, and they were books like um, uh, books by Ram Dass, Be Here Now, which I think is still selling well. Uh, Ram Dass was um, actually, oh, why why is his name gone out of my head? His real name, I think if I said his real name, you would know it. He was one of the three guys at Harvard who were doing the LSD experiments that got kicked out. Oh, MKUltra? No. Who's MKUltra? I think think that's, is that, am I getting the two things mixed up? I remember what you're talking about because was it um, Tech Kaczynski was part of those uh, experiments? No, no. It's, um, it's, um, 
Okay, let me look this up because I've got to I've got to know this because um, it's driving me crazy. Richard Alpert is his name. Okay. Richard Alpert at at uh, and um, the other guy who was also let's see the three I'm, I've got to get his name because I know that uh, he was a very influential in drugs and spirituality. All three of them were. Well, I might be getting into the the little bit of the um, conspiracy theory weeds, which I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but from what I've read, that um, you know, I know that the CIA was using experiments with LSD on people yes. back in the day. And then Harvard, um, I don't know if they had a connection with Harvard or not, but I do remember that there was talks about when Teshuzinski was there, that they, those sort of experiments on him due to some trauma that he had in his life might have kind of like messed his brain up a little bit and led him down the pathways to do what he did. No, um, but when that, when this was going on, they got kicked out for, for it at Harvard. Okay, so I might be thinking and, about and there something there's the three else. that said, um, okay, I'm just looking on here. The three at Harvard kicked out. I'm trying to get their names. Uh, kicked out for LSD. I know, I know their names, and I just can't, you know, it just drives me crazy when I forget something like this. Um, LSD seemed were, to be a, a very uh, intriguing drug back in the day. It seems like everybody was trying to use it for experiments. Oh, well, they were. This was yeah. the time I was living in. That's why I said it was so chaotic. And Timothy Leary, that's who I'm trying to think of. Mm -hmm. It's Richard Alpert. T does Timothy Leary ring a bell with you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's who I'm trying to think of. Um, and then I can't remember the other guy's name. But they, I think they were the two main guys. There was another one. They started this project, the Harvard Psilocybin Project. Psilos, I don't know how to say it. It's P-S-I-L-O-C-Y-B-I-N. is an entheogenic hallucinogen, which naturally occurs in certain species of mushrooms. Leary and Alpert sought to document its effects on human consciousness by administering it to volunteer subjects and recording their real-time descriptions. At the time of their research, so it's not LSD, neither L well, neither LSD nor psilocybin were illegal substances in the United States. But by 1962, faculty members and administrators at Harvard were concerned for safety reasons, and the, they critiqued their unorthodox methodology um, and then it goes on. This is a whole long story that I'm not going to, it's not, a, it's actually not, it's a short article, but they were kicked out, I guess, because um, they were only using vo uh, volunteers. But in the spring of 63, Harvard was forced to dismiss Albert, Alpert after he administered psilocybin to an undergraduate student off campus. Leary was also fired from the university. So I, I thought there was a third guy, but maybe it was just those two. Maybe it was Timothy Leary and Richard Albert. And they're the ones that when they, when they got kicked out, they said, turn on, tune in, drop out, a countercultural phrase popularized by Timothy Leary in 1966. Um, in 1967, Leary spoke at the Human Be-In, a gathering of 30,000 hippies in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And he phrased the famous words, turn on, tune in, drop out. That kind of became um, the motto for that whole generation or a lot of people in that generation. Anyway, so Ram Dass wrote a book, Be Here Now. And he had been, his real name, Richard Alpert, he had been at 
Harvard with Timothy Leary, and they were doing experiments with a substance that came from mushrooms that was a hallucinogen. And they were later kicked out for it um, because apparently, I guess Harvard didn't like the way they were doing the experiments. And actually, I didn't realize that the substance at that time was was not illegal. I thought that it was illegal, and that's why they were kicked out. So I was wrong on that. That's not the case. Mm. And I also have been saying on many programs they were kicked out for experimenting with LSD, and that's not true either. They were experimenting with this um, psilocybin or something from mushrooms. That's what they were using. <clears throat> so later, I mean, LSD, of course, became a lot, very, a very big thing. So, and I think Timothy Leary in particular really promoted the use of drugs. And up until he died, which was only maybe 10 or 15, maybe 15 years ago, I'm not sure, maybe 10 years ago, he was still pushing the idea of doing mm. drugs. I saw a video, um, or I can't remember, if it was, yeah, it was a video of him talking about it. And I mean, of course, he's much older um, and still believing in it, still doing it still pushing it up until his dying breath. Um, so really, this, these drugs were kind of like his religion. Now, Richard Alpert went to India and found a guru there. And that's where he became Ram Das. And he came back to the United States. Um, he wrote this book, Be Here Now, and he wrote other books. But Be Here Now was a huge bestseller. I read it um, really a, a few years after it had been written. I can't remember when it was written. And that influenced me. The ideas in it influenced me. They're very kind of Hindu New Age ideas. And uh, then I read some other books by some other New Agers. Uh, another book that influenced me was uh, Seth Speaks. This was called the Seth Books. The Seth Material. Um, these books were channeled by a woman whose name was Jane something it would be easy to find because I'm sure you can find the book on Amazon. She was um, using a Ouija board and getting communication on the Ouija board from a being that called itself Seth. And uh, Seth was giving her these messages. And then I think he told her to stop using the Ouija board and he would just speak to her directly. And she would go into these trances and, and Seth would come through and her husband would record what she said or what supposedly, well, I think there was something coming through, but I think it was a demon, um, what I call a fallen angel, coming through and, and like three or four books came from that. And I read Seth Speaks had an, a profound, and it's one of the most influential books on me in terms of the new age uh, that and Ram Das and um, autobiography of the yogi by Yogananda and cutting through spiritual materialism by Choi Kum Shrimpa. Those were probably the four most influential books that I read because the Seth speaks actually altered my worldview about some things. I think my worldview was already being altered, but it really all got altered more with Seth speaks. Um, and then she died a very, uh, she died kind of young. I think she was in her 50s, early 50s. Um, and I had the hardest time finding out how she died. Now, I can't remember. I think I finally found out or maybe or maybe it was they didn't say why, how she died. Uh, but really, when you start channeling and then she would give live sessions where she was channeling Seth. 
when you start channeling these these fallen angels, they will physically and mentally use you up. A lot of people who do this die young. It's they interesting. Die young. It's interesting that you use the word physical and mental because I did a um, I did a study on like demons in the Gospels back in the day. And, you know, I gave a couple like lessons on it, but it was more of like an overview lesson. And so it was kind of like, what are, what do we see and how they act and then the effects that they have on people? Uh, and I didn't get too much into the weeds of like, you know, oh, how close is this one to, you know, epilepsy or what about this one with mental illness? Like I wasn't going down that route. It was just more specifically like, what do the gospels say? And one of the things that intrigued me in that study that I'd never really realized before is how there are different levels of what we might call like possession. Mm-hmm. I guess for lack of a better term, you know, where you, ha- you might have one person where they have fits, right? Like this demon will, will control them in fits or you would have somebody like the Gadarene demoniac who 24 yeah. seven, this guy's taken over or you have like other instances where it's like, well, when you have your fit, you're thrown into a fire but when you have your fit, you know, you have seizures, you know, it's like you see all these different little nuances to it and there is a physical element there. And so not everybody who is quote unquote possessed might look like, you know, like in the movies, you know, like what you might yeah. see in the movies today. But, you know, people might have, um, I guess, detrimental effects from that, like you said being used up and that's such an intriguing thing but again it always goes back to me of that like that intrigues me but then i need to reel myself in because i'm like well i don't want to go too far down that route because yeah it's a bad thing and i think really we don't know a lot about it i think what we what we know for sure is what we know from scripture Mm -hmm. and i think it's kind of good to keep it there now i can give my own thoughts or my own observations but i think there's a misconception that everyone who does stuff like what I was doing, you know, like psychics or astrologers, some people even think that, you know, I was possessed. I don't think I was ever possessed. You don't have to be possessed to do this stuff. Sure. I think some people, when, 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 and, and I even have questioned whether possession exists today, which I know sounds very shocking, but I just, I, I, I like, I have to think of these things. So I take them to the furthest point. And I think, does it really exist today? Because I do believe that when Jesus was on earth, the reason there was so much is because Satan was challenging him and trying to, trying to, he was attacking Christ, obviously. He was, he was, I'm sure, incredibly angry that Jesus was on earth and doing these miracles. So he was probably, and the demons were challenging Jesus, and they would take possession of people, uh, maybe say, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if Satan thought this, maybe he thought he could actually, you know, overpower Jesus, or Jesus wouldn't be able to cast the demons out, I don't know, maybe he didn't know that Jesus could do it, or thought maybe he could keep Jesus from doing it. So all of this, I think, was happening because Jesus was being opposed by satan and now that jesus has conquered him on the cross satan is still around and he's still deceiving and he still does things definitely and we're told that in in scripture in the letters to the churches satan is prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour which is really a very good picture of what we're talking about and uh, and I think a lot of a lot of the way Satan works today, well, obviously through temptation, 
And the other way, although we can be tempted by the flesh, but Satan can work to tempt us. The other way is through false teachings. I think that Satan's most active area is false teachings. Um, and so, you know, doctrines of demons, that's where we see all these false teachings all the time outside and inside the church. Uh, and and I and I, I can't say there isn't possession today because I don't know. And I know a lot of people have claimed to see it, especially overseas in certain cultures where there's a lot of, um, you know, paganism and shamanism, mm -hmm. animism and occult activities, which makes sense that you would see it more there. Um, but I don't think it's it, it's it's existing to the extent it existed, at least in that part of the world when Jesus was on Earth. I think it was I think it was much more common because Jesus was there and Satan was challenging him. Yeah, I think I mean, it's interesting because a very important question is like, you know, when you read the scriptures, you don't really see a lot of it outside of that isolated time period, you know, when Jesus was on earth and you don't get right. a lot of discussion, even in the epistles. I know Revelation is a different story, but you don't get a lot of discussion in the epistles of like, you know, one of the gifts of the spirit is casting out demons or, you know, you don't yeah. hear demon casting out ministry right. or right. You, know, you, don't, you don't hear talks about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually the letters, none of the letters mention anything about, you know, and that's one reason I say that we're not, we're not to concern ourselves with that. Mm -hmm. and we're not to concern ourselves with casting out demons. There's nothing in the letters that refer to it, that suggest it, that teach how to do it. It seems to me if it was something we should know, there would be either an example of it or there would be instructions, you know, from yeah. Paul, or Peter or somebody um, who wrote the epistles telling the church because they're writing to churches who are, you know, dealing with paganism and, and, and the worship of false gods and in many cases and false teaching, false teachers like Galatians and Satan's referred to, but never in the sense that there's any any um, activity of possession that they're supposed to know about or deal with. And so I think that's why I take a very, very cautious stand on it. And um, I also think it gets too intriguing to people sometimes. So I think it's better to, to try to limit our knowledge to what we see in scripture and not go by experiences or other people's experiences unless it can be really backed up by scripture. And so my stand on it is not very popular with some people, but that's, you know, that's my, I'm, a lot of my stands aren't popular. So yeah. no, I'm, I'm, used that. To that. <laughs> I'm very used to that. So, you know, I don't think we can go too far with it. We have to kind of be careful in any area, actually in any area of the supernatural, we need to be careful, like even about angels. God gives us some information on angels, mm -hmm. but we're limited in our knowledge on angels, too. We can only speculate on some things. We There's a lot of things we don't understand about angels, a lot of things. So we've got to be, you know, we've got to try to, God, and God has his reasons for not, I'm sure he could tell yes. us more. If he wanted to, he could tell us more about angels and more about Satan, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And I think that's, he, I'm sure well, everything God does is for a good reason. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> he has good reasons for not telling us. And I can see that it, it could be actually a bad thing for us to know more. I could see it as a very bad thing. It's bad yeah, enough that people are doing some and saying some things on things they don't know, you know, much less things that they might know. So I think that whole area is an area that I'm asked about a lot, of course, and everything, but I'm very careful about it. And anyway, 
So I don't want to keep on and on, but that's no, I no, can't no, remember that's why I, how we got into that. But we were talking about something there that led us into that. And you said you did a study on their yeah, effects. Oh, I know. I was talking about the Seth, the woman who did Seth, Jane Roberts. That's her name. Her mm -hmm. name just came to me, Jane Roberts, and um, she, um, yeah, she died. Um, I think she she had some ill debilitating illness or something, but. I do know, I remember when I was in the new age and hearing about people who did channeling, which is this direct where you allow a spirit to control you, um, that it was exhausting for people who did that. They mm -hmm. were exhausted after doing it. And I think this is because this, um, you know, fallen angel is taking over your body and, 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 it, will, and, and it affects your mind. It, will, it uses you up. Your, your mm -hmm. body's not built for that. So plus, not to mention that anything from Satan is going to be destructive. So. For sure. So let me ask you this. So for the sake mm -hmm. of time, what, what was it like for you or what was it that began to turn you away from this and then turn you to Christ? Okay. <clears throat> yes. So that's the part we should get to. <laughs> um, so what happened was, was, uh, was very unusual. Um, I wasn't feeling disillusioned or anything. I wasn't thinking of leaving astrology. Um, I didn't think it was evil. I actually didn't believe in evil. So, you know, but I didn't think it was wrong. Uh, what happened is I started getting um, this very strange compulsion to go to a church. Now, this was in the last couple of months. I think this happened around April. I was president of the Astrological Society at the time. This started happening. Um, and I just ignored it because I didn't understand it and I didn't know why it was happening. So I just tried to ignore it. I just thought it was strange. But it wouldn't go away and it continued. So it continued through the summer. Um, in August, I went to an astrological conference that was being put on in Oregon by the publisher of a magazine I wrote for. And um, he had actually been at Findhorn, which is a big New Age community in Scotland. And I found out, I just want to mention this, because I found out about Finhorn before I got in the New Age, or just as I was getting interest in those areas. Um, and I was very intrigued by it, and I was wishing I could go there. It was, this, it was like this co community that had been started by these people um, who felt that if they worked with the nature spirits, they could grow good crops and food on the soil. They, they're in a part of Scotland where the soil is very thin and, and you can't really grow stuff there well. Mm -hmm. And they felt like they were going to show that you could with the help of these, I think they called them divas, these nature spirits. And they did. They were very successful. And they grew stuff. And it Findhorn still exists. It still exists. And he was a member of that com community like early on. So he was a publisher of this magazine I wrote for, and I'd been writing for for a few years. He was holding a conference, and this was the second conference I went to. I had gone to one two years earlier. I went to this one, and I was going to do some workshops. And um, I went to that, and a few couple of strange things happened there that, if I have time, I can I can say, but I'll skip over it for now. And then I went back to Atlanta and. and I still had the compulsion to go to a church, so I decided I would go because I decided it came from a past life. 
I had been a Christian in a past life. And so probably there was an unresolved issue and I had to go to a church to see what the issue was. And so <laughs> that's how that's how I explained it to myself because yeah. I really didn't want to go. So I went and um, uh, I I sat in the back of the church uh, and I planned to leave early. That was my plan. Uh, the service started with music. Everyone stood up and they had a procession from the back of. Um, the ministers led by this young boy carrying a cross. And as he walked by me, I experienced this overwhelming uh, feeling of love that I call a waterfall of love falling on me. Um, and I knew it was coming from a personal God. Uh, I this had, this had nothing to do with the music or the people there. It was clear to me this was from God, um, but you know, I didn't believe in a personal God, but I knew this was from a personal God. So there you go. I mean, I had this <laughs> something happening that I didn't even believe in. And I just, I just, so I stayed for the whole service and uh, I went home, I wrote my journal about it. Uh, and I wrote, I said, I don't know what this means, but I am not leaving my spiritual path. So I thought nothing's going to take me away from what I'm doing. That was my thinking. Um, so I must have at some level felt that this might undermine what I was doing. And I, so I went back to the church and I kept going every Sunday because um, I just, I just wanted to go there. You know, I didn't really know why I just wanted to be there. Um, and, you know, I met a few people and a few people I was very open about being an astrologer. So a few people wanted my business card and I thought, well, you know, I might get some clients here. So it <laughs> gave me another reason to keep going. <laughs> and um, I was in a Sunday school class and then I was in another class that met in the rector's office. It was a group of people that were planning to be um, confirmed in the church on Palm Sunday. Now this is when I went to the church the first weekend and had the um, a waterfall of love that was Labor Day weekend. Uh, when I joined this class, it was probably maybe three or four weeks later. But a very short time after that, I started getting an impression from this God that he didn't like astrology. And I just ignored it. And that went on for a few weeks. And then I got the impression that he wanted me to give it up. And I just, I thought, I, I don't know, I can't give it up. This is what I do. You know, I'm an astrologer. I mean, you know, look, I'm writing articles, I'm speaking. I'm I also taught, I forgot to mention, I've been teaching astrology for a few years. So I was a teacher at the Astrological Society. And I thought, you know, I'm teaching astrology. Um, I'm, um, you know, chairperson of the, um, I was head of the Speakers Bureau and the, I was in charge of classes that were being taught or I was helping, you know, decide the classes that would be taught and get the teachers for them. So I was very active and I, the thought of just like giving this up seemed ridiculous to me. 
but this this impression that I needed to give it up was so strong um, that on the eve of Thanksgiving, I actually made the decision to give it up. And there's a lot of stuff I'm skipping over here. There's a lot of strange things that happened. Um, you want me to tell one of them? Well, that's all right, because I'm going to have to bring you back for part two anyways. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't even gotten into all the Christian uh, occult-like practices. I know. <laughs> well, you you were, you were seem to be okay with me giving a lot of I, details. So I love I it. Continue. This is exactly what I love to do. Oh, okay, because sometimes, you know, people will tell me, well, tell your story, but let's try to keep it at 20 minutes or something, and then I'm very brief, and I... I I leave a lot of stuff out, obviously, but you seem to want to hear it all. So I just was giving. All I do. To I told you, I just like having conversations <laughs> with people when I mean, whoever's in my audience likes the way that I like, cause that's why they listen to my show. So okay. that's what I like to do. But I guess for the sake of, for this, cause we're pushing an hour and a half now. Yeah. Well, this is a good place to stop. It's kind well, of a, um, I still want to finish cliffhanger. Yeah. I want to finish off though with the actual, like, you know, you said Thanksgiving night, but was that it? Like, is that when you were like, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for you or? Oh, was no, there... no, no, no. Oh, no. So no, when, did wasn't that... That... when did that happen? Or do you want me to keep talking then? Or you want to save it for next time? Can you give me a short summary of it? Does it need a detail? Because if it needs a detail, we'll leave it at a cliffhanger and make people come back. It's better to leave it. You know, leave it I, I, would, I would leave out stuff. And if we come back, then yeah. I can say one of the strange things that happened. That Yeah, I'm going to have to get you back because I want to hear the rest of this. And then I want to hear all of these, what Christians don't understand, or like kind of these occult-like practices that are infiltra infiltrating the church. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and at this point, when you get me back, I have a little more to say. But I, I, will, I am near the end. And that will give us time to talk about the other stuff. I love it. So Thanksgiving night, what year was this? Do you remember? Oh, it's so appropriate. We just had a big crack of thunder. <laughs> just, we're about to have a thunderstorm and it just, you said, okay, it's Thanksgiving night. And then the thunder yeah. went grrr. <laughs> I was going to go to the store, but I think that I'm going to wait and see if the storm goes away first. Okay. I'm sorry. What were you saying? That's all right. I was saying Thanksgiving night. Do you remember what year yeah. this was? Yes, this is um, 1990. 1990, you begin to have that interaction with the Lord, and then that's going to lead to your eventual Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't having an interaction, but I think this um, the compulsion to go to the church and the impression about giving astrology up, that was all the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I meant. God's working on you yeah, at that point. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was working on me. Yeah, I didn't know that. Sure. I didn't realize, you know. I just knew it was from God, just God. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, so I can, I, I did leave a couple of things out there that would, you probably would want to hear. So we can do that next time. If you it's right, right, point, right at this point. Part two. Part two is what you're going to have to come back to. Yes. All the listeners and myself, because okay. I want to hear it now. Okay. Well, we will schedule, we will schedule a time for that then. Absolutely. Marsha, thanks so much for coming. Okay, thanks for having me. Okay.